yonder keep the wings level and true history hello and welcome to the second episode of the history of the rhode island air national guard podcast Today we're going to be speaking to retired Senior Master Sergeant Dennis Nye. Dennis worked for the 143rd Airlift Wing for 29 years in the Fuels Department. Dennis, welcome, and can you walk us through your career with the 143rd Airlift Wing? I retired in 2008 as a Senior Master Sergeant from Fuels Management while the unit was here at Quonset State Airport. I joined the unit in 1979, August of 1979 while the 143rd was at TF Green, and we stayed there until just about July of 1980. Back then, we were doing all of the aircraft refueling, which is what I was in, refueling the aircraft, at TF Green. However, we had to drive down to Quonset, the old Navy petroleum storage area, where they had a 500,000 gallon underground stainless steel tank. And we filled our trucks there and then we'd have to drive back up Route 4, 95 to TF Green. I did 29 years here. I was fuel superintendent from 1987 or 88 up until the time I retired. And that's when Brian Robitaille took over for me and has been doing it since. Is it, is it the same that same little building? Yes. Right, yes, it so. is. You got any stories from that building? Well, we have a lot of stories, but... Uh, you know, appropriate ones. Well, that story, that, that building was the full-timers. There was just three of us. And uh, it's myself, Bruce Nichols, and Ray Morrissey. And those were the full-timers there for about 20 years. The three of us were together. We had some very good tr- uh, traditional people. Some of them might know Phil Cato, who was a retired school teacher out of Cranston West. He taught health over there. Uh, we had another guy by the name of Fred Harrison, who was our captain, fuels officer for a little while. We had a fuels laboratory over there, which they still have to test all the fuel. Receiving fuel and issuing fuel and storing fuel and doing construction work over there. It was a nice 20-some-odd years that we did there. 28 for me right there, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how fuel's mission evolved over your time? Well, to be honest with you, it hasn't evolved a whole lot because we started off with the trucks, and that's what they still have is trucks, whereas some bases have gone from trucks to hydrant systems. But here at Quonset, it's still refueling trucks, and it hasn't evolved that much at all. As a matter of fact, the operating system that we opened in 1981 is still there today. Uh, Hoping to get renewed is what I've been told. Is it still the same the same testing methods, or did you have new technologies introduced over the years? Not many new technologies. Same testing method in the laboratory, using the same equipment. The equipment is newer, maybe a little bit more modern, but small changes, nothing. So, so my first military job was um, ni- 1993. I uh, came in as a Marine Corps photographer. And, um, you know, we had to mix the, the chemistry. So I went to Okinawa for my first duty station. And we had this uh, o- Okinawa National who was a government contractor. And he would test the um, fixer 
right, which is mostly formaldehyde, you stick his finger in it and just taste it, and then you tell us it was good. It, it, did you guys do it that way, or did you, know, no. you got a little more sophisticated? No, we had very specific methods, and, and it really hasn't changed all that much. Uh, you test for certain additives in the fuel. You test for clarity. You test for water, make sure there's no water. You test for solids, and that's all weighed out in an in a oven. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, they're still doing it that way today. And, and fuels is like a lot of the, do you, would you consider fuels a maintenance, a maintenance job? No, a fuels was part of supply. Okay. And that's w what we came under. But important job, I mean, like, like almost every other, you know, like a lot of jobs in the Air Force, no fuel, planes don't fly, no mission. Exactly. It really was a flight line job. And uh, they needed you in at 2 in the morning back in the day when we had the C-130s. You had to go in at 2 in the morning. I remember working Easter Sundays because uh, they needed to top off the C-130s right to the brim. We had to go over the wings and top them off when they were flying to Europe. Can you talk, can you talk a little bit about any of the interesting missions? Did you deploy any place uh, during your time? In the fuel section, we didn't have to deploy so much as the maintenance people. Uh, we went to davis Monthan and some people went to Europe, Germany, while I was in. Now they're having to go to Afghanistan. However, for us, a lot of it was right here and right on site. Just long hours when something was going on because yes, the plane's got to get out. That was, uh, that was uh, enjoyable, you know, looking back. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're all wired, you know, that when, when we need to step up, we're going to, you know, enjoy Exactly. Enjoy, you know, answering the question. When you have to step up. During your time, and you did, so you did over 20 years. I did. You did over 20 years. What did you see change in Air Force culture, you know, between um, when, when you started out and, and, and when, you, when you were finishing up? The same that people talk about today. Uh, back in the, in the 50s prior to me, they were much closer. The NCO club at TF Green, mm -hmm. they'd play cards every every lunch period. Very close-knit group of people from, from around the base I'm talking about. In my generation, it was still a close-knit group, not as close. And then after me, they're just not as close as our, our generation was. So you've seen this, you know, technology has put us at our own devices. Yeah, you know, I found that we got closer when definitely the COVID mission, I think, brought a lot of us together. Not even just Air Force, but, but um, you know, David over here's Army. That's when we, when we really, you know, we're doing a lot of missions together. Being together in those sort of high-pressure situations, like, is always going to build build that closeness even if it's it's a very good point and yeah. that was during covid you said yeah during covid i mean we all kind of came together that's when the guard unit would be close because anytime we had to fly away whether it was an ori or an ore you were close to everybody on the base because you sat on the airplane with somebody else who you didn't know and it was nice some people didn't even know how to buckle their belt on, on the airplanes but you didn't hold that against them you know they were met up in medics and didn't fly that much you just help them and you move on. So there was always that, probably as what you went through during the COVID, you helped the person on either side of you, yeah. regardless. I don't know, let's talk about something fun. How about, uh, how about the chow? How did the chow change over the years? 
I don't know how it is today, so I couldn't tell you if it's gotten worse or gotten bad, but uh, that was the least of our worries. You know, MREs were, eh, you'd wait until you get hungry, and if you got hungry, you'd eat them. Uh, the chow, no, nah, that was not really a big issue. I have always considered it to be pretty good. Uh, what was your least favorite MRE? Just about any of them. Yeah. Omelet with ham for me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Couldn't eat it. Exactly. <laughs> the Frankfurters were pretty bad, too. I didn't like the Frankfurters yeah. much. Nobody nobody liked it. We didn't like it while we were going through all that stuff. I like the barbecue pork. Chem gear in uh, <laughs> Gulfport, Mississippi, Savannah, Georgia, walking around, climbing ladders, doing this, doing that. Well, you know what, though? A lot of us, we run into each other here. Rhode Island is unique. You run into each other and you start talking about the old times. While well, he went through them, they weren't all that laughable. But now you look back and you, you smile and, and you laugh. And you're you're in you're in um, uh, one of the retiree organizations. I'm sure you see people just you know because it's a small state. You probably bump into people at the at the grocery store that you may be served with. Bump into people at the Home Depot grocery stores it happens quite regularly too and uh, and I'm thankful for that it's nice uh, 143rd started out at TF Green Airport can you can you describe the facilities there number of personnel etc when you arrive you know it's funny like th these questions terrible opsec if they were about like what's going on now right mm -hmm. hey David tell me how many how many troops and where are the troops in the army right now <laughs> but you were at TF Green, um, TF can you, Green. yeah describe the facility what was different between that well we and worked out of a trailer there so uh, it wasn't big. It was a very small operation. However, we had refueling vehicles across the street. We had to cross Airport Road every day. We wanted to go refuel an airplane, so we had to cross that road. And uh, as I said, after we'd refuel an airplane, then we had to drive down to Quonset to, f to fill the truck and then drive back. And we would get somebody to ride shotgun with us in case anything happened. So I got to meet people from all over the base because whoever rode shotgun was from, they weren't from fuels, they were from anywhere on the base. And uh, I got to meet a lot of people that way. It was very interesting. Uh, the operation itself was uh, small and, and uh, you know, like a field operation. We didn't have a system there, we didn't have a lab there. So it was quite, quite different. And I'll tell you something, two years ago, I connected with a fellow on Facebook, and then as we got to converse, and I said, wait a minute, I think you did my first fuels inspection while I was at Quonset. Turns out, in fact, he was. Did you pass? We passed, and. Right, that's good, so it was a pleasant conversation. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> and, and actually, uh, my wife flew down to San Antonio, where he's living, yeah. and we met his wife, we went out to it together for a uh, fuels gathering at Christmas time in 2019 and we had a wonderful time. I don't I don't even want to know what fuels guys drink at a gathering. <laughs> We're like all the other guys, just like the fly boys, whatever they do. Right on. Can you talk a little bit about the different um, aircraft that you saw over over the years? Uh, what, what, what was there when you started? And For us, we had C-130A models, which mean we'd have to top them off more frequently on off duty hours to give them the amount of fuel to go to Europe if they were going to Europe or if they were going to Davis Mountain. Then we went to the E model and then finally to the J. And 
For us, there wasn't a big change in going from the A to the E or to the to the J. Less less work, but you know, it didn't change my daily routine all that often. So if my if my lawnmower sits in too long over the winter, I got to pour the extra stuff in there. Do you ever have that with the planes? The plane sits there too long, and you know you got to top it off with some with the with the magic sauce. No, no, <laughs> that's not not from the airplane sitting there. That would have been fun. I'm 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 sad. Yeah. Did you notice any changes in the guard mission with uh, 9-11? They didn't have a real big impact on me. The biggest change was when guard units were required to be six months. They initially started off two weeks, which was kind of ridiculous. Sent somebody over to Afghanistan for two weeks. By the time they, they get in and trained up, they're, they're leaving. So it went from two weeks on to maybe three months, and I guess it's up to six months now. The Air National Guard was used frequently in other missions that a lot of people don't know about. Not that they were secret, it just wasn't advertised. Um, I mean, can you probably talk, can you talk about them now or? No, because it always didn't involve me. Oh, I understand. Know. So your so your mission stayed the same, yeah. taking care of the planes, but the, the exactly. guard's mission changed a little. Yeah. I, I understand. Okay. There's a lot of pressure on Air National Guard units to survive the BRAC process in the 90s. Do you know anything about that? Our base commander at the time would solicit as many units to fly and stop here, and then that would be a, a means to say, hey, we're a stop-off point for so many units coming back from Europe. That impacted me big time because at the last minute we'd have 14 C-130s that were heading to Dallas, and we had to refuel all of those on top of our regular mission. BRAC is very important. I tra I've traveled 49 states in the last 12 years, and I've been to guard bases, many of them. And it's important to keep the mission here. And, and it's especially important now that I'm working here because I, I need to keep this job. It's clear you have a lot of pride in what you were able to accomplish while you were here. Can you talk a little bit about what you achieved while you were here and the legacy you left behind? The fuel section back in the 90s took down just about every award you could take at a national level and at the base level. So we uh, had a reputation nationwide, and this is late 80s into the 90s. And then Brian took over. We had a number of people that were honor grad. I think we had the last count, we had like 10 honor grads in different technical schools. And Brian took over and it continued, and they got every national award available. It's really been a, a, a hallmark down there, and it's been great in uh, Brian hosts a party just about once a year at his house, and we all get together from all the years, going back to the 70s, some of, the, some of us. So it's been very nice. Yeah. That's great. It sounds like you really enjoyed your time here with us. I know right now fuels is a critical job field for us, meaning we need more people in that job. What do you feel is the disconnect between what sounds like an interesting and fulfilling job and getting people interested in that job? The people that would join fuels management to refuel airplanes were people who wanted something to diversify, something different. One individual had his own uh, auto mechanic business. He wanted something totally different so he could just chill on the, on the weekends and not have to worry about the same thing that he was doing during the week. So it was something quite different. Like I said, we had a, we had a school teacher. We had a guy who owned his own business. Uh, the officer I mentioned had a master's degree in chemical engineering from Cornell University. And a lot of these people have gone on to do some good stuff and enjoying life right now, enjoying retirement. 
But that's all I can answer to your question. Is it is it a job that um, where that skill translates into civilian employment? It does directly translate into another job, and that's what I've been doing for the last 12 years. I work on fuel systems, so I do construction oversight, management, quality control, safety, and I work on fuel systems, fuel tanks, fuel pipelines, doing the management for that, and it has just opened up a career for me that allowed me to travel, work six months or less a year, get a very good pay, it's a direct translation. All right, so if we've got any kids listening, they're thinking about joining, you know, thinking about a job that, that you might want to join, you hear that, and I can tell you that, hey, this is a good-looking guy, looks like he's, you know, doing well in life, you know, get in, get in a field that's going to that's gonna take you somewhere. Exactly. It, it, really, it really would. It's been wonderful talking to you. I'm, I thank you so much for, for, for doing this and, and, and helping us, you know, get this, uh, get this, his, get this history on, on tape. You know, it's, it's important to capture this. Thank you, John. History. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the History of the Rhode Island Air National Guard podcast. Tune in next time. We're going to be talking to Peter and Susan Augustus. Peter's career spanned 33 years. He started as an airman and retired as a lieutenant colonel. And of particular interest to me, he was one of our last photo officers. Susan retired as a full colonel. She commanded the medical detachment at the 143rd. And Susan was the first, the first female in the history of the Rhode Island Guard to achieve the rank of colonel. So we're really excited to talk to them. Thanks again. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. Keep the wings level and true. History.